What's up, Zero to Hear podcast fans? Welcome back to the show. Tonight's episode, Alex McFadden, Faden, McFadden, not totally sure. He'll, he'll be okay with that. Uh, of Thrive Mortgages, very, very business savvy guy, very structured. Actually met with him uh, recently in the morning to just kind of throw some ideas around. Very video marketing forward. Check out his Instagram at the Mortgage Pug. He's doing big things in video. Uh, this is a fantastic episode. I learned a lot from this guy. Enjoy. I just feel like uh, when I listen back to the first, whatever, 20 or something, it's just like so forced. Whereas now I feel like they're pretty fluid conversations most of the time. Totally. It's comfort. Look at this. We're hanging out on the couch, looking at this beautiful skyline, and we're not worried at all about the bombs. We're good. This is it. Yeah, life is good. This is it. You're going to do a podcast, Nina. Yes, we're going to do a podcast. So uh, uh, one of the ideas for the podcast was to bring the pugs on. I thought that would be uh, maybe appropriate for a little while, but eventually maybe there are other things to say. We'll see. At some point, technology has to advance enough where a dog can be wearing like some sort of collar and it picks up what they're thinking and puts it in English. Isn't so you can have a conversation up? with the dog. That's the movie Up, right? Yeah. With the dog. <laughs> Incredible movie. My pugs wish they had that. They would be, uh, they would be definitely um, advising a lot of clients right now on the mortgages. Right now they just hang out. So we're good. They're probably so much smarter than we think they are. <laughs> no, no, not, not my dogs. Maybe not the pugs, but some of them. Yeah. <laughs> Paul, you could probably let us know. What do you think, Paul? Are they smarter than we think? <laughs> <laughs> epic, epic, epic. Man. Is it going to be the robots that uh, kill humanity or is it going to be the pugs? Yeah. <laughs> Joe Rogan seems pretty uh, worried about the robots. I feel like there's a, there's a percentage of people, like 1% of people are going to listen to this and they're going to be like, this is amazing. And 99% are going to be like, what the fuck is <laughs> happening here? So, hey, if anybody doesn't know, I've got the handle, the mortgage pug, I have to live up to it, right? So, you know, I was listening to a Joe Rogan podcast today and they were talking about aliens. So I was going to ask you, do you believe in aliens? I do. Definitely do. Okay. That was a very confident answer. I was, yes. I was going to, I was expecting a little hesitation, but wow. Nope. Okay. Reasons? I just, to be completely honest with you, I'm just yeah. fascinated by the idea. I think I'm more fascinated by the idea of what we think aliens look like and do. Yeah. As opposed to like the actual concept of aliens. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I just, I, I, I have a hard time believing that we're the only entities in, in the entire universe, assuming the universe is as big as we think it is. Yeah. How could we be the only beings of any level of intelligence? Have you done any research on this? Uh, yeah. When I was like, I don't know, 15 to 17, <laughs> I watched a lot of Alien versus Predator. Alien. No, um, I'm a huge movie buff. I love uh, Alien movies as a whole. I haven't done a ton of research aside from reading a few books um, and nothing in recent history. So mm -hmm. to answer your question, yes, in the past, but not recently. And I would say that the reality is it comes more down to a fascination with it and always totally. just thinking about it, especially when I was younger growing up. The last 10 years, I can't say I've thought about it other than just watching movies or things of that nature. But if you start to really think on that, and no, we're not high right now. It is, <laughs> it's pretty mind blowing, right? Do you know much about Area 51? No, I don't. Okay. Do you, Carl? No, not really. I feel like we need to turn on that Netflix special right now. I think maybe I'm going to watch it later. What do you expect? Do you want me to tell you what's in there or what? No, just like <laughs> listening to all those podcasts. I don't. What was the guy's name who uh, came out 
and uh, basically like the guy in Joe Rogan. Talking about it. Yeah. yeah, was it Bob Lazar? Lazar, oh, yeah. Bob Lazar, yeah, and he has that most recent movie, doesn't he? On, oh, on Netflix, does he? yeah, yeah. Ooh, I, I can watch that it. out because there was uh, some woman on Annie something that is a reporter who had a bunch of conversations with somebody else who worked at Area 51, mm-hmm. and she basically said it was a Russian propaganda thing. So she said Russia mutated humans, put them in this spaceship thing, flew it over and like dropped it in U.S. soil just so that the U.S. would spend all their time and energy on researching this. It seems like a lot of work. It, yeah, in the 50s too. Yeah, yeah. I like that. I, but she was so, she's written books about it and stuff. I like the creativity. Yeah, I don't know. So my, my fascination more comes from just the creative side of it more than anything else. Just the idea. Totally. Does it make you feel insignif- insignificant? No, not at all. Really? Yeah, absolutely. It, whenever I think super big like that, I think, uh, like, first of all, how small I am compared to the earth. But how small the earth is compared to like yeah. everything else that's out there. So, so in, in the grand scheme of things, if we were talking about, you know, life as a whole or a being on this earth and on this planet, I wouldn't, I wouldn't use the word insignificant. Maybe, maybe it's just the terminology I wouldn't mm-hmm. use. I would say, uh, you know, looking at it from a speck of dust standpoint, but I mean, I think we all have a purpose uh, and, you know, whatever that purpose is, is always yet to be defined, mm-hmm. right? I don't know what yours is and I don't know maybe what mine is for sure. Uh, but I can say that I don't feel insignificant based on the idea of having another being in the universe. I'm more fascinated by it, if that makes sense. Or yeah. excited. Yeah. But you're right. The whole idea of thinking about how big it is is like, whoa. Just whoa. I feel like it's a natural transition to start talking about the simulation theory now, Carl. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> go for it. This man. is not where I expected this to go and I'm enjoying it every second of it. I know, I honestly, I never know where podcasts are going to go before I actually start talking about, or we actually like, especially if you've never met someone before. Yeah. I've never met you. I've seen you on social media a bunch, but I've never met you. Do you just get a space vibe from Alex or what? Honestly, I worked out this afternoon and it is absolutely where I do my best thinking. Yep. Running or working out. It's so ridiculous how much faster my mind moves when my body's moving. Yeah. It's so crazy. Do, do you find that, like, do you usually work out in the afternoon? It, I prefer to do it in the morning. Um, I've just, I've taken a week off to start January cause 2019 was a workout every single day for 365 days. So I took a week off and then my, today was my first day back and I was going to do it tomorrow, but I had an hour to kill in the afternoon. So I just went, <laughs> went to the gym. <laughs> Perfect. But I usually prefer in the morning. Just yeah. kind of gets my, uh, mind moving early. In the absolutely. Day. Absolutely. So, so I started going a little bit earlier this year than usual, like a little bit. 15 mm-hmm. minutes uh, for part of the reason that I just like you I can't stop my mind from racing yeah and actually when I go earlier I have more focus than if I go later on if mm-hmm. I go if I go at seven o'clock I'm doomed do you always start do you always go in the morning <clears throat> yeah yeah unless I unless I for some odd reason very rarely I, I can't make it in the morning maybe mm-hmm. I was up really late the night before or something of that nature uh, otherwise always in the morning yeah is it always the same time yep yep now it's it's 15 minutes earlier than it was before uh, but yeah, I usually get there at about six to six fifteen. Six fifteen is my goal uh, right now. But we're working towards six. Last year it was six thirty. Have you always been like really structured like that? No. No. Just recently. 
Yeah, no, uh, when you say recent, I guess it's been about four years, three years or four okay. years of like very structured, but a very habitual in that sense, like certain things, like I, need, I eat cereal every night before bed. <laughs> <laughs> this is the habit I'm trying to break right now. <laughs> my, my wife, I hope she listens to this, is going to die laughing because right now we're on this. She's on, we're both on this kind of, you know, let's, let's, you know, we do really good. We're healthy. We work out six, seven days a week. Now let's get our, let's dial our, our diet in. Yeah. And she's looking at me, just staring at me because she used to eat like a little piece of chocolate every night or something. And, and my thing is cereal. And I've dialed back from two bowls to one and a half. So <laughs> what's your go-to? Oh man, it's just, it's just everything. I don't like this. I don't like the, like the Fruit Loops or anything like that. I'm talking, um, you know, Vector or, or, or like, you know what? I like mini wheats. That's a, that's definitely a good one. That's so a good one. That's I enjoy my mini wheats. Those are solid. Those are solid. But yeah, you know what? Uh, a timeline structure, uh, for me, structure creates freedom. Uh, the last six months of my life with recently, you know, changing my business and, and going through a partnership and mm-hmm. changing the location of where I was working and, all these I moved there was all these different things that occurred yeah. was was just pure insanity in my life my yeah. brain could hardly handle it where other people would probably thrive I which is actually funny enough to name my company I didn't mean to say that <laughs> um I, I struggled I struggled from that from that standpoint so so that morning routine to me and doing that one thing in the morning is like a release for the rest of the day at least that one thing I got done it's kind of like the idea of like make your bed for some people for me it's exercising hmm. right I'm slowly starting to get better at the structure, and but I just I don't know I uh, like I talk to Jamie about this all the time. Jamie James Garbett, um, he has gotten very good at it, and it's just like like you said, it's freedom for him. So it's like a time block in the middle of the day for from eleven to one, and that's like his time of day where he takes his dogs out and does something, right? Yeah. Whereas like me if i say okay i'm gonna go for a run at 11 and a client calls me at 10 59 and says hey i want to see these three properties tomorrow i'm gonna do that first and then i'm gonna try to fit the run in later right i just can't i like i it almost causes anxiety for me to know that i have stuff that needs to be done right in so, a certain period of time i absolutely can understand that yeah. i feel like there's you need to create like what i call flex time mm-hmm. and i think there's probably for everyone there's a different way to do it there's a happy medium there's mm-hmm. some people i know that it's like uh you know david smith uh no but i'm meeting him for with jamie next week i think perfect yeah Thursday, excellent wednesday the guy's yeah. got a google calendar that would make you sick you'd probably throw up if you saw it it's like every five minute block yeah. there are things we don't need to talk about in that calendar all day long and it's actually overwhelming to look at uh but that's he live or die mm-hmm. right um, and his partner, who I know you interviewed there, uh, yeah. tie exact opposite up until yeah. recently, he's trying to work into it. So I think for everyone, there's a, there's a little bit of a flexibility, but it's also a learned skill, like anything as well, right? Totally, uh, to some degree. So so for me, it's it's knowing what I'm going to do, but maybe not having an exact time for every item to occur. Yeah. So I create some flexibility, but having structure in knowing certain things are going to be done. How important do you think that is early in your career? And I'm coming at this from the perspective of myself who in chatting with Ty a couple weeks ago seemed like his career started pretty similar in terms of like always the yes man saying yes to every single thing never turning away a client or a meeting or anything but personal life suffers and other things suffer from that yeah but at the same time I know from my experience I wouldn't be where I am today if the first four years of my career was not an absolute gong show yeah so 
Do you think it's important to learn that early or do you think it's something that you need to put a shit ton of work in at the beginning and then kind of evolve your schedule as it goes around? Your personality is so important when it comes to that. I think think the fact that you did it that way and someone else did it that way was the right thing for you. Um, you were probably fortunate to come across a point or a person, a point in your career or a person or a time or just a wake up moment yeah. that, that said, okay, I'm, I'm really, really good at this, but to take it to that next level, I need to do this. Yeah. Um, you know, for me, I, I mean, I think anybody starting in this type of an industry where you have to build a name for yourself, you have to build trust, you have to learn like crazy. Mm-hmm. You'd be crazy not to say yes for, to a lot of opportunities when you get started and even yeah. things that you're not so sure about. That's, that's part of the growing part of any, anybody who's entrepreneurial, if they actually believe in growth, they're always going to be doing that to some degree. Um, but I, for me, it was actually an opposite where, where I found structure created that growth after a very short time. Mm-hmm. So that first year for me was just, yes, like you mentioned, to a lot of things. But very quickly on, I realized that creating a schedule and creating activities and creating certain things that I had to do daily, weekly, monthly, mm-hmm. annually, that was the growth opportunity for me. Heck, like if you ask people at my old office where I was at, it's like, don't talk to Alex. Like he's busy. He's on the phone. He's doing something. Like don't even talk. Like don't walk in. And it's not because I'm being a jerk. Like I'll wave and smile. Hey, what's up? But I'm in the middle of like an important you know, activity or an event. Yeah. Right. So I have my meeting set or I've got my call set or I'm working on my project. And that was the only way that I could amplify my business in that, you know, short period of time without losing my mind. And I kind of lost my mind. But, you know, that's that's a wholly different conversation or part of this conversation. We'll find out. Do you write all that stuff down now? Which part? Structure, game plans for the day, goals for week, month, year, whatever. So yes and no. Um, there are certain goals that I follow that I believe in now that are different from what I believed in before. And and the other thing that's unique um, is where, so in our industries, the real estate and lending, you know, there's certain standard metrics that we follow, like mm-hmm. how many homes did you sell or how many, um, you know, mortgages did you fund? And yeah. it's an important metric when it comes to a business. But what I don't do, okay, so to answer your question, yes, we look at it. Yes, it matters. We focus on is the activities as opposed to the end result. The end result is only something we measure over an extended period of time, if that yeah. makes sense, just yeah. to make sure, you know, we're doing the right things. Um, we don't generally ever say deal in our office or we like, you know, occasionally we'll talk about it in a technical manner to someone like yourself. But in the office, we're talking about how many families we've helped, how many people we've served, how many people we've taken care of. And we just focus on maintaining those activities throughout the day. So I guess there's kind of a double answer to your question. Yes, we track them, but there's only certain metrics that we focus on and track. And I think how we focus on those is what's most important. Mm -hmm. Because you can look at, I hear people all the time that say, I'm, you know, I I rank as X percentage of X people. Mm -hmm. And to me, I don't think, I think they're doing themselves a disservice. And and I tell people like, anytime I hear that, and I hear it all the time is, hey man, I, I maybe think about instead of looking at that, like, don't worry about being top 10% worry about you helping those people or worry about you doing those activities. It's going to allow you to help those people. Mm -hmm. And then you'll get that accolade. But does that accolade really help you in any capacity? Sure, marketing. But aside from that, where's the fulfillment there? Where did that kind of start from for you? Because it seems that's a pretty rare mindset to have coming into a sales business like this. Yeah. Most people are just so concerned about the deal. Yep. About the next paycheck. Yeah. And you kind of learn it over time. Like, You're right. I think a lot of people getting into real estate are, are getting into it to make money. They see people that are doing well that are making a lot of money. Yeah. And 
as you kind of go through your career, you you kind of evolve and understand that the paycheck is not important. The reputation and the relationships that you build along the way is is what's important. Yeah, the the best the people that you meet in the industry where people continuously say like they're very good at what they do or very good people or build strong businesses is you know of course they look at that factor if you're not then you're probably not running a very strong business uh that being said i mean those people get that like at, at a certain point money is somewhat irrelevant for most people like the reality is is once we earn for anywhere between 100 to 150 thousand dollars a year for the average person in this area we don't really need much more than that Mm -hmm. so it's not that that's important anymore. There's other factors to consider. Yeah. Right. You know, I, I can't say that I never cared about those things. The heck, I was telling you before that Paul uh, and I met uh, at TELUS yeah. and I was constantly in the top sales. And that was a big thing for me at the time. And I think that was a good learning experience for mm-hmm. me. It got me excited to, to have that thrill. And uh, I would also say that being recognized when I am recognized for that, you know, helping these families and take care of these people, it's not like it doesn't mean anything to me. Certainly. It, it feels nice, but it's not something that I ever strive for. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's not like a goal of mine to be top 10. Yeah. It's like, if that happens, cool. Nice. It's funny in our industry. I, I don't know if it's the same in mortgages because I, maybe I just don't see it, the marketing as much, but it's funny how people just use that as like their, I don't know what the right word is, but the it's benchmark? like, it's almost just like they hide behind this number. Yeah. So like if you're top 10%, they just keep throwing medallion club, medallion club, it's just everywhere. Whereas like, why isn't it like whatever, Lisa Wu or Wu, whatever your name is, why, why aren't you marketing yourself? Why are you marketing this medallion club thing? Yeah. I mean, let's be honest here. And because I think it still works for some people. Mm-hmm. I think just part of that, I think there's a sense of pride. But we can be um, honest and also say that it's not that difficult to be in the medallion. Yeah. Like top 10%, sure. Sounds really good to a lot of people that don't know much about real estate, but Half the people in Greater Vancouver, half the licensed agents in Greater Vancouver do zero deals a year. Yeah, that's, right? that's they just crazy. just have a license, right? I mean, uh, where my office is located in the Fraser Valley, we work all over the lower mainland, so we kind of see a little bit of both, which is interesting. I hear more. I hear more from out there, I think maybe just because it's a smaller uh, district, but I hear out here and the numbers just, I think in Vancouver, it's just the numbers blow my mind on a regular basis. My feedback to that is I wouldn't make it so insignificant to that person who's who did do that depending on their circumstance. Sure. Um, but I, I think it's just that it, it's too much of a goal for most people is probably yeah. the best way to put it. It's too, yeah. it's too important. Does that, an, if that makes sense? Yeah, I guess, I guess getting into an industry, it's an easy metric that is easily measurable yeah, you, and yeah, you measure yourself against and it's posted everywhere Yeah, that you can just kind of like say, okay, second year in the industry, I want to do this, you know, yeah. whatever. And it's totally. easy to measure yourself up yeah. against others. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I think uh, that's exactly what it is, is measuring yourself up against what the other people in the industry are doing. And to be completely honest with you, I don't fault anybody for thinking that way. I don't think that they're bad people or have yeah. a poor mindset as far as thinking about that. I just try to um, personally, when I'm thinking about it and I've thought about it in my head, like how do I feel if I were to think about it that way? And I, I get it, why they would. But my, mind should is al- my mindset is always to, okay, awesome. But what if you didn't worry about what, Bob here did and mm. the rest of the 9%. What if you just focused on just crushing it for those people out there that you're taking care of every single day mm-hmm. to achieve this because it matters for that, like your family or your future or your future family or whatever that is, mm-hmm. right? Because as soon as you stop focusing on what the other people are doing, you will be even more successful. 
totally. in whatever that means to you. Because success doesn't mean selling, you know, 15 homes and helping out 15 families. It means different things to different people, right? For sure. Right? So anyways, no. con- we'll continue. No, I like that point <laughs> a lot. Where, uh, I guess, where did you adopt that type of philosophy or where did that come from early in your career of like, not even going out of your way to say, we don't want to use the word deal in our office. We want to talk about families that we've helped and situations that we made better and good investments that we'd help people made, whatever it is. Yeah. There's a few factors. I mean, I think I learned very early in my career, especially with the history of sales and with some great mentors, um, very quickly that it wasn't about winning the quote unquote deal or getting the commission Mm -hmm. or anything like that. It's about winning the client. Yeah and uh, taking care of their interests. And a lot of people say that, but to actually truly do that. Mm-hmm. I also have had some, I've had some great mentors and I've had some awful, and I'm not gonna call them mentors, but people who were leading our team or our company or whatnot yeah. at the time. And I just learned what not to do. Like yeah. right away, I was like that. <laughs> I'm not doing that ever. And I'm not talking like that ever. It makes me sick. Uh, it doesn't make me feel good. And I've made a lot of mistakes, you know, learning like most people do. Uh, but right away, I just, I don't know. I just adopted that and it felt right. It sounds right. It feels good. Like it feels good. Mm-hmm. And I think we can give ourselves permission to do things that feel good. Mm-hmm. You know, say that I'm helping these families. Sure. It's just a change of a word, but your mindset shifts For sure. and all of a sudden it's not like I'm funding a refi. It's okay. Maybe a technical conversation to your underwriter. But the reality is, is if you, you talk to your team and say, Hey, we're helping out this family and this family and this family, mm-hmm. it's like, holy crap. Like we're really impacting these people. We're taking care of these people. And mm-hmm. instead of us funding 100 mortgages, it's we, we helped 100 families. Yeah. So I, I posted something the other day and our goal for our company is, is to touch, well, now we have to look at it from a transaction standpoint, much like a purchase and a sale. So if someone does a, a refinance and a purchase, that's one family. So we have to count the numbers. But our goal is to impact 500 families this year. That's our goal mm-hmm. as a team. And so whatever that means, whether that's, you know, giving advice to um, a potential client that they don't work with us to tell them to do something else, that for us is positively impacting them. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. So that's kind of our goal. That's our number. And we have that number to track though. It is difficult, but we track it using our, our system. So everybody that we talk to that Mm -hmm. inquires with us, um, that wants to learn from us or get a mortgage from us or... Mm -hmm have us help them, we input them into our system so we can track every conversation we have and we can, we can track that. But well, what I meant by that is just like, even the amount of content that you guys are putting out and the amount of value in terms of the lending space that you guys are giving people on Instagram, on whatever platform, YouTube, you can't see how many people that's affecting. And that's something I learned this year is just people are watching even though they're not saying anything, which is really cool. Yeah. It's also very scary and difficult for a lot of people to understand that. Yeah. And it takes a while to grasp that too. It's kind of that like, oh, I only got, you know, X likes or X engagement on my post. Mm -hmm. Um, I started getting impacted when people reached out to me after, you know, saying, hey, I've been following you for 12 months and all this information being so helpful. I listened to everything you did Mm -hmm. and now I'm ready to go. And I'm like, who the heck are you? Like, I don't know who you are. Yeah. I have no idea who this person is. And it's just really neat to say that. So how many other people are, are there that are out there like that, mm-hmm. that are like that? And I, and not just for the lending space, but for anything you're doing, like, I think we should worry less about the, the you know, obviously Instagram feels the same way, which is why they remove the numbers. Yeah. 
we should worry less about that and just focus on what are we, do we believe that what we're doing is positively impacting our space or other people? Yeah. If so, do it. Don't worry about what other people think. I just laugh when I hear that stuff though, because it like, where does that entitlement come from that like your stuff is so good that thousands and thousands of people should be liking it? Totally. Yeah. Right. I'm pumped when like three people comment on my photo. It's three more people I can say what's up to, right? Yeah. But like, yeah. who cares if it's three or, or 3,000? Yeah. I think you should just be excited and humbled by that people are actually watching and caring enough it's, to it's, comment. It's, it's truly a popularity contest yeah. and people get sucked into it really easily. Like, it's actually, um, the, like, I don't know, I mean, we don't need to go too far into this, but the studies on, on, on the dopamine hits of every time there's like a like yeah. or a comment or, yeah. and I felt it, I've been mm. there. Like, you know, I had to kind of pull myself out of it and and uh and really think about it from a broad spectrum and, and a big 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 like you said a, like a big picture view and yeah. say why like why does it matter like i've got my wife i've got my pugs i've got my people at the office <laughs> i got people i talk to that's good yeah. um and i and then I, I guess it comes down to why are you doing this totally. right if the reason that you post a photo uh, a selfie is to get attention then that's why you feel that way but mm-hmm. that's a different conversation do you how long has it been since you kind of figured that out? Like truly figured it out? Just over a year, I'd say. Maybe a year and a half. Probably sometime in 2018, I stopped caring. And do you, like, do you take breaks from social media? Because you saw yourself being like, oh, why didn't this photo get like? No, I, I wouldn't say to... like I, I took a break per se. I just, it was just like a little bit of an evolution. Yeah. I stopped caring. Like I just stopped, like I've been doing the video thing for a long time mm-hmm. and don't get me wrong, there are moments of what I would say relapse where I'm like, ah, oh, man, like are people liking this anymore? Like what's going on? Yeah. And that's more, that's in my own head, right? Yeah. Like, what am I doing here? Um, usually just takes a conversation with my wife, as you can tell, she's <laughs> bouncing ideas off her. While eating cereal. While eating, yes, absolutely. <laughs> Actually, no, I don't talk to her while eating cereal. That's the rule. Don't talk to me while eating cereal. I'm not joking. I'll watch hockey. That's it. Um... <laughs> So true. <laughs> um, yeah, no. So I'll bounce an idea off off her, and uh, just she'll she'll wake me up real quick. Like, why do you care? And it, and it goes both ways. Like we do that to support each other, mm-hmm. uh, because it's really easy to get caught up in that web of popularity, even though we're not trying to be that way. Yeah, it's just it's kind of just naturally. Why don't people like me? Yeah, I just want people to like me. You know what I mean? Totally. But why? Who cares? You know, one of the things I, I, I learned uh, a few years ago, uh, actually, the pug. So the, the pug, the, the reason that uh, it took me a while to even do that, and the reason it was scary to do that was because I knew when I did that, um, I should probably explain to listeners, the mortgage <laughs> pug uh, has been my brand for a number of years. He's taking a little bit of a backseat, but he's still around. Um, Ernie, right? Ernie. Ernie. Yes. Yes. Good call. You did your research. I like it. Yeah, I watched a couple of Instagram videos. Oh, right on. <laughs> He's, uh, Jax has been showing up a lot lately. The black pug. The black one, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Got to give equal rights here. Two of them. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so doing that was was stepping out on a ledge and saying, I don't care that there's going to be a lot of people who are not going to like this because there's going to be more people who don't like it than the people that do. Mm-hmm. But the people do love it, right? So not worrying about that anymore was kind of that first evolution. Totally. Like you're not a dude in a suit. You know, uh, people... I get these questions like, oh, like, are you, aren't you, you um, putting yourself in a situation where people aren't, you know, going to be interested in working with you? They have a lot of money and they look at a guy with a pug. And you know, I think it really just depends on how you represent yourself mm-hmm. from that standpoint. 
Um, when I tell people uh, previously, when I, my brand was literally just the mortgage pug, my website was mortgagepug.ca. Uh, when I had to tell people my address, Alex at mortgage put, they're like mortgage put, <laughs> mortgage pull, mortgage, like no, no, pug, dog, pug, yeah. right? So I think we got off track a little bit, but um, I think that's where that evolution starts is, is trying not to worry about the effect that it's going to have on other people, knowing that what you're doing isn't something negative. Yeah. Um, I don't think there's a lot of space on, I don't want to just say social media, not for, not for being upset. Like it's one thing to show something happened or a life event occurred, but it's another thing to openly complain. So totally. I'm not, I'm not into bitching or complaining or whining, and I don't think that's a good forum to do it. But having a conversation about something that, that's happened is, is okay. So uh, I kind of got off track a little bit, but that's all right. That's what a podcast is for. Cool. Right on. <laughs> I like this podcast. That's why they're like an hour and a half instead of 20 <laughs> <Exactly>. minutes because <laughs> there's so many tangents. Yeah. yeah. Um, How long have you been doing video? <clears throat> and what so, was the goal with, why, why'd you start doing video? Yeah. Uh, educate. Educate. Mm -hmm. I wanted to educate people in a space that I felt like there was a lack of education. I still think it's under underserved. Mm -hmm. the The reality is, you know, kids going through school right now still don't have any financial education at yeah. all. Yeah. Um, they have geography, right, which is great, but you can look at a Google Map. <laughs> don't get me wrong; maybe we could split that class up. Do you watch Gary Vee at all? Uh, I do listen to him. Yeah. Oh man, one of the funniest lines he says is, uh, "I think he was talking. He's talking about like his elementary school report card or something." And he's like, it, it's so silly how they don't teach anything about business in school. He's like, what the fuck do I give a shit about Saturn for? Yeah. And he's just talking about geography class or something <laughs> and talking about, he's like, I don't give a shit about Saturn. Why don't the pioneers. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, <laughs> pioneers. I could have done without maybe 25% of the, the pioneer talk. Yeah. And, and, and don't get me wrong. I think history to some degree is important for us to know. We've got to remember sure. where we came from. Uh, but, you know, how much more impactful would it be if the average person getting out of high school knew how to open up a uh, not just a checking account but actually how to utilize uh, their budget mm -hmm. how do i create a budget mm -hmm. how do i buy a home it blows me away and i don't mean this in a bad way at all but it just blows me away that when i talk to someone they don't they have no idea of what where do i even begin yeah like and and, and that's why i'm so happy to be there and i'm so happy those people reached out to me because we can help them but like how how were was no one ever there to teach you that mm -hmm. Uh, the only other person that teaches them that is their parents who bought a home in 1973 yeah. <laughs> and went through the 1980s where interest rates were 18%. And the only good thing in the world was not having a mortgage, which is the exact opposite of what I teach people every single day. 100%. Right? Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, where, where, where did that, that conversation It's funny. Start? I had this conversation with someone the other day. Oh, uh, someone bought a lottery. One of my friends bought a lottery ticket or something and pulled it out and was checking his numbers at like we were out for a beer or something on his phone. And he's like, what would you do if you want a million bucks? And I was like, uh, probably buy two investment properties and then go on a sweet vacation or something. Like I said, something like that. So not much would change. Like with your day-to-day -day life. <laughs> just keep adding to the portfolio. <laughs> I like it. I like it. And I was like, what would you do? He's like, oh, I'd probably just pay cash for a house and live in it. I was like, why would you do that? Money's so cheap. Why not buy three? Anyway, but exact same conversation. Well, that's fantastic. And that's I say it. that all the time to people. People are like, uh, whatever. Someone will come up and say, I have 250K to put down. I want to buy a one-bedroom condo for $500,000. Like, why are you going to put 250K down? Like, I don't know. That's how much money I have. It's like, well, you can, you can get a mortgage at 2.7% or whatever it is right now. 
uh, and save that extra 100K and put it into investments or buy a rental condo or whatever. We can go deep down this road if you want to, but I had a very similar conversation today. A gentleman walked in, uh, not walked in, it was a phone call, uh, but began the conversation. I have this much money. I'm I'm finally ready. I'm going to buy this investment property. Mm -hmm. And I looked at it, I said, you know, you have right now in your other property over $900,000 of equity. Why are we utilizing all of your cash for just this one condo or property? Yeah. Let's think bigger picture. Let's look at the whole you know, grand scheme of things. We've got this, this bank account right here that you can use as well. What does that look like for you? Mm-hmm. Why don't we take this other cash, move this here, and look at some other opportunities from investment? Think big, right? So for some people, it's a gateway. You know, it's an opportunity to get in. But you know, I, I think it's, again, so coming back to the, the educational component, yeah. the reason I started doing the video to go back, uh, trying to remember where I came from yeah. here, was to educate people. And, and, and honestly, when I started doing it, it was because I was learning. So what I was learning, I was teaching. Totally. And that was the best way for me to learn. Mm-hmm. And how else do you learn? Books, you know, things of that nature, great. So I was doing things. And then I would get asked a question. If I don't ask the, the answer to a question, I would go learn it, find out all the details, everything is new. And then I, I put it into a video. And that's how I got started in video. Yeah. I just said, well, there's nobody else doing this in the space no one educating them. And there's an opportunity here. Let's go for it. So it's, I mean, it's partially marketing and partially uh, educating, but it, it, it took off pretty quickly. How do you handle that fear question? Getting back to like leveraging. Uh, it seems like a lot of the younger people who maybe want to put this extra percentage down or don't want to take equity out of their place just because they feel like they're at risk. How do you handle that type of objective? Um, sorry, maybe reading like over leveraging themselves. So like oh. your example with that guy that just walked in, uh, into your office or you chatted with today who has 900 K in his house right now, how do you handle the objective of it's risky for like a lot of people don't or want to be more conservative yeah. with investing risk is the taking biggest... out 500 K and putting it into other investments when the media is talking about this bubble in greater Vancouver real estate. Yeah. So, so the biggest thing that I ask people right away is because is you say the word risk. That's the word, that's the buzzword. That's what most people say. And yeah. so I ask them specifically, like what, and in a non-condescending way, I just want to understand where they're coming from. Yeah. What makes you think that this is a risky investment mm-hmm. or a poor investment? Like why? Listen, just listen. Yeah. And, and they'll come up with different types of answers. And for some people it's, well, I've already paid down this amount. Why would I pull money out? Okay, well, there's tax deductible standpoint, Mm -hmm. as an example, or I don't want to buy an investment property because what if I have a bad tenant? Okay, well, it's possible. But what is the percentage of people who are bad tenants? And okay, you have to kick somebody out for a month and and clean it up. It happens. One out of X, very, 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 very small percentage, you have a nightmare scenario and that could happen. But you could also lose all your money in the stock market or not make anything at all. Okay. Um, Other concerns would be, okay, what if um, the market drops and it dips well people still have to pay for rent and we don't have any more properties mm-hmm. right uh what if the rental rates drop well i've never seen that happen have you but people are still moving here i heard it i saw an article on t or something on tv the other day saying it might have been tom's story do you know tom's story from the toronto guy uh i think he said something uh, he made his predictions for 2020 and one of them was rental rates will drop Hmm. He said there's a bunch of new inventory coming, uh, new construction that's finishing in 2020, and there's going to be a lot of supply. Mm-hmm. So he thinks rental rates will drop slightly. But that was the first time I've heard it in my career. Anyway. Yeah, I've never, I've never heard that. And I, you know, I definitely, if there's somebody listening to this that has the stats, send them to us because we'd love to look into it. 
but the most recent statistics I looked at when I was sitting down with someone I know as a property manager mm-hmm. did not show any indication of it stopping. Now, we've cert- seen plateaus yeah. at certain standpoints. So I, I, I personally own investment of real estate and I've never reduced the rent and I don't feel like I likely ever would. And I can't see a time where that ever would go down. But let's just be realistic here for renting a property out for uh, 1700 and okay, well now it's 1600 If $100 is going to make or break you, then maybe you shouldn't be investing in that type of real estate in the first place. Maybe you should be doing a joint venture or looking at a different type of investment if that's the case. Yeah. Right. So I don't think that when you mentioned going back to the word of, of leverage, I think, like I said, it's just listening and understanding like what are their biggest concerns and it's about actually truly educating. And this is where you should have some, some understanding of the market and what the, you know, the different figures are that are impacting their day-to-day life. And then I think if, for most people, once you actually lay it out and you show them what the potential is on the upside, mm-hmm. sure, the downside, here's the downside, but here's the upside. And then just tell me what's scary. Like for most people, it's actually not seeing the cash in that account. Totally. Like I don't see it in my bank account. Totally. And it's a mental block, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's, and I understand it. Like, yeah, you're looking at your account. It's like, I had hundred thousand bucks in there. Now I only have oh, $5,000. Yeah. Oh crap. But look at this, like, look at we, what we own over here. So um, I don't think real estate investing is for everyone, uh, but I definitely think it's for a lot more people than we actually truly think. And uh, it's something I truly believe in. So, I mean, my goal, if I could, would get all my clients to have four properties and we truly be able to impact lives and create real wealth. But that's a whole Why four? So, I mean, we all know that we have the rule of the five, six or seven that's come out in the last you know, five or six years mm-hmm. where uh, because of the lending guidelines, the rules, the restrictions, Generally, once we get past uh, about five properties, the options for our clients tend to dip okay. and drop off. Um, so there's a few other factors besides that. Over and above that, most people want to do this on their own. Once you get past three rental properties, you, you pretty much have to hire somebody or have some help to, I mean, for most people, I would say to, to actually maintain these properties if sure. something were to happen. Sure, you don't need to. I know people, uh, some of my clients who have seven, eight, nine, ten, and they do it on their own. But you know, if you're working full time and you have a family or something of that nature, it's it's a lot more work at yeah. that point to do mm-hmm. that. Um, you know, another consideration that we're looking at for is based on an average income. So if we're looking at about one hundred twenty to one hundred fifty thousand dollars, it's very doable if you structure the the investments properly mm-hmm. to be able to qualify for up to given today's uh, real estate environment to get up to that four properties. Uh, it's, it's just different types of barriers to entry, but we can get to that number with a, an average income family, assuming they're smart about their investments, uh, where once we get past that, there are all sorts of different res- rules and restrictions and we have to have somebody very clearly focused on getting up there. If that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Do you uh, educate realtors very often on uh, having those conversations with clients about? Yes. Yeah. My, my, uh, my focus on earning business and trust from a real estate agent is never to be a, uh, kind of guy who comes in and just wines and dines and, uh, says, Hey, where's my deal? Or give me your deal or that sort of situation. Um, I, I, you probably sense this from my conversation at this point right now, not even just real estate agents, but also from any of the other partners that we, we serve business from constantly am asking and trying to figure out what am I doing that's supporting this person and their vision or their business. And it's not necessarily just educating them on this, but for a lot of people it is. It's like, okay, when we give you this tool and we educate you on this tool, you can now go impact more lives and more families. And now you're not just someone who's coming in there and saying, gimme, 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 you're saying, 
take this, right? And we'll create something together. And it's really cool. It feels good. It totally. never feels slimy or salesy or anything like that. Totally. And that's, that's 100% the approach. Um, and it's not always about real estate investing at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of different other things that we talk about or work on. But I think it, whatever, if there's someone listening to this that does anything to do with sales, it's, it's have you heard the book, The Go-Giver? Yeah, I haven't read it, but I've heard of it, yeah. Okay, but it's more of a concept than anything else. It's pretty much just education, teach people, help people, help them get to their goals, mm-hmm. and they will help you. Mm-hmm. And you can't count on them, those people to help you, but they're going to be definitely much more likely, especially when it's something you do, right? So For sure. I watched a video of you on uh, Instagram today. Oh. And I think you were talking about when you were a kid, being an introverted kid, and talking about getting into video. Yeah. So what, I, I get the idea of wanting to provide value, wanting to educate, but why'd you choose video if you were a shy kid, not comfortable in front of, in the, in front of the camera? Man, that's a good question. So, uh, oh man, I'm gonna go back to this again. My wife and I were driving the other day and I said to her, I'm like- Eating cereal. No, you, just... you, I was eating cereal, driving my Jeep, <laughs> driving on the street. Um, and uh, I actually said to her, I'm like, do you, like, let's, like, crazy how long we've been together. Cause we've been there like 15 plus years. And I'm like, yeah. can you think back to what we were like back then? And she's like, yeah. Yeah, you had long black hair and, and like super, super tight pants and you thought you were like a skate punk. I'm like, ah, yeah, not that part. But uh, besides that, what were we like back then? I'm like, you just have this gift and she has this gift. Like she walks into a room where she can just smile and talk to everyone. And like, oh, we like Sarah, we like Sarah. And I'm like, oh man, I wish I could do that. She's like, yeah, you, you do that every day. Like everywhere we go, people seem to like you. And I'm like, yeah, but I don't think I'm naturally. Yeah. She's like, yeah, I see what you're saying. And so... Uh, where I was going with that is I love one-on-one or one-on-a-few. Mm-hmm. I love deep conversations. I'm not good with those short kind of like high buy. I'm terrible at networking events. Don't put me in any of those rooms. I'm going to walk out. I'm, I'm going to be silent and walk through the crowd and walk out just yeah. like that. Um, when I was doing video, I felt like it was my opportunity to speak intimately to someone there as opposed to having an awkward conversation with a whole bunch of people, mm-hmm. if that made sense. Yeah. So it was a way of not just getting my message across. That was important too, but also talking to someone a little bit more closely. So I always said like that guy right there, that's, that's my friend. That's my best friend right there. I'm just going to talk to my best friend and I'm going to teach him how to do this. That's it. Um, yeah, I just felt comfortable. And it took a while. It wasn't comfortable to start. Yeah. <laughs> go back on my YouTube channel. Do not go back on my YouTube channel. <laughs> uh, but if you want to go look at the YouTube channel, my very first few, few videos, and you will absolutely um, recognize that it was not a natural thing and it was not a comfortable thing, but it was my opportunity to connect with people. How um, long did that take to feel comfortable? I don't know. I actually don't know. Yeah. I, I think it just became something that it was like, okay, this is, this is working from a business standpoint. People are noticing. So I had to kind of like push myself a little bit to get comfortable mm-hmm. and do it. Um, I don't know, maybe four to six months of consistency yeah. where it became more comfortable. And then it was just breaking new barriers. You asked me today, you're like, is this the first podcast you did? And I'm like, no, actually I did one in, in 2017. I did this live podcast reading. I was so nervous. I was yeah. so nervous. Yeah, live just, one is your first one? Uh, live audio, I guess, okay. something like that. Okay. Um, but yeah, and I, I was just shaking and I'm like, I've done hundreds of videos. Like, what am I so nervous about? But it yeah. was something new yeah. and it was a different conversation, but it got really comfortable really fast because the conversation ended up just being just a deep one-on-one. And it's yeah. like, all right, this is cool. We're just talking, right? Yeah, just like now. Why aren't I probably don't follow as or have as many mortgage broker contacts as you do in the industry? But why isn't anyone good at social media? It seems like no one uses it very much. Um, 
Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it I guess- It seems like real estate agents <coughs> in the last two years have figured out that this is a valuable tool. And now it's very competitive in real estate. But it seems like mortgage, to me anyway, the ones that I have on social media, don't use it very much. Yeah. Don't do all, all the video that you're doing. Don't educate people through channels like social media. Through the, yeah. I mean, like I see a lot of people, like I've got a lot of people that I love in the industry, good people around. And, and so I see a lot of their content. And, and I think there are quite a few people out there who are doing um, a good work. I, I think there's a lot less than in the real estate industry. And I sure. think a lot of that has to come to the fact that, let's be honest, more real estate agents uh, would be considered to be more uh, extroverted if I'm someone who's a little bit more you know, close to myself or close to my chest or vest, if you will. Yeah. Um, I would say in the real estate industry, m- many more people that you meet, realtors, uh, are much more comfortable. And they're out there belly to belly with clients day to day. Whereas, uh, and this is an interesting thing I'll get into afterwards, but the mortgage space, but the mortgage broker traditionally was someone who's sitting behind a computer mm-hmm. or behind a phone board. And uh, they didn't really want to be out there belly to belly. They didn't want to be at open houses. They didn't want to be you know, out there, you know, uh, uh, talking to people all day, every single day, face to face. It wasn't part of the reason they got into that industry. Yeah. So I think traditionally, that's why a lot of those people didn't enjoy that, even though you have to have a sales element to your to your business in order to grow it, obviously. Yeah. Um, I think that there are some, some people out there, especially because I'm very connected in the US too, and I watch a lot of people down there who are doing amazing things that I'm, I'm, I wouldn't say envious of, but looking at it and saying, wow, that's, you know, inspires me to do those sort of things. Um, But I think also the other reason you may not see this is, is the wrong reasons for doing it for a lot of people. Again, it's more of marketing as opposed to engaging. And sometimes I even have to ask myself that question. Okay. Is this actually valuable to someone else? Is there some engagement uh, in there that people are actually can give a crap about? Yeah. Um, Without worrying about it. Right. But actually having a focus as opposed to uh, here's me just marketing myself in slow motion, if that makes sense. Yeah. Don't get me wrong, I love slow motion. Love those cool little clips, but <laughs> it's not really helping anyone, so nobody's gonna find it or see it, if that makes sense, mm-hmm. on, on at least in the lending space. Yeah. Right? Property's different, like I wanna see that, that fireplace looks, well. that looks really cool, right? <laughs> so I don't know, I don't know why more people aren't doing it, man, but uh, I've, I've had to constantly adjust and learn and constantly adjust and learn, and. And still, you know, learning right now and trying to catch up to people that are doing a fantastic job and just say, okay, well, uh, what, what can I do to, you know, help someone out there today? Or how can I engage with people to have an open conversation? Because mortgages are super boring. So for a lot of people, right? Do you know so, any other mortgage brokers that have a full-time videographer on staff? Not Locally. in Canada. No. No, I don't know of any. Maybe they do, but I don't know of someone, no. I don't, yeah. I don't know any, I don't know any realtors. I'm sure there are some in Greater Vancouver. Like there's like, Hasman does a ton of videos. There's a bunch of people that do a lot of video, but I don't know anyone that has a full-time videographer. Yeah, you know, uh, I, yeah, not locally. I'm not, I'm, there definitely probably is someone out there that we're not aware mm-hmm. of, uh, but not that I'm aware of off the top of my head. In the US, it's definitely seems to be more of a trend. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot more people who have taken that risk. I generally see that in the way of teams, yeah. um, where people can pool their resources, which I think is an incredible idea. And I think the reason that we made the decision, there were a lot of reasons. One was we, again, wanted to get our message out to more people uh, more consistently. And we wanted to focus on what we were good at. I don't want to do things that I'm not good at. And that's how I've been able to grow my business. And it's not always easy to do that and recognize that. But I want to focus my time and energy on my sole purposes, Mm -hmm. whatever that is. 
And that's, you know, why a guy like Paul is here now, you know, recording this or filming this or doing our events, because that's what he's good at, right? Yeah. About taking risks, learning and growing, right? I had someone on our team spend close to half an hour this morning teaching me how to use iMovie. <laughs> iMovie, yeah, that's how we started. <laughs> I'm like, I don't want to do it. I just want to make the content. I want to talk in front of the camera about stuff that I'm good at and I know, and I want someone else to help me with the other stuff. So I think like it depends on what stage of the career you're at, right? Yeah. So if you're if you're beginning your career and you don't have the resources, yeah. then you, you got to learn. You got totally. the time, right? So time is your resource at that point. Totally. And so that's where, you know, for me, I, I enjoyed it, right? Like I wanted to learn iMovie. Um, I eventually graduated to final. Like, so Paul and I geek out sometimes because I'm like, <laughs> oh man, did you do this? Or how did you do that? And we'll be able to actually bounce those ideas. So there's a little bit of a deeper passion there, but you know, again, at the end of the day, it's like any business, if you want to grow it, you need to be willing to let go of the things that you're probably not best at or, yeah. or your time isn't best spent there. Right. So, um, hiring on and bringing on Paul was uh, a, a great decision. Um, and, uh, it's, although I'd say in the first six months, as we talked about and, mm -hmm. and all the team would agree, it's definitely been a learning opportunity. Yeah. There's no doubt that we've, uh, been able to actually be able to hone in and, and help more people, whether it's filming a video for one of our partners and letting them utilize the content or just being more consistent in what we're doing day to day. I think the biggest impact is actually being just on our day to day business because we can focus on that instead of getting our message out there, right? Mm -hmm. Now you could do both. What's the goal for your video for 2020? I don't know. Being organized. Yeah. Paul, is that our goal? <laughs> oh, yeah. Or organized, uh, focused um, uh, information that is consistent. It's, I, it's, so yes, I do know. It's consistency and organized. We built a calendar. We're going to follow that calendar for a 90 day time frame, uh, measure the results and see how people are receiving it. And uh, again, not necessarily from likes, but we can look at general engagement, what's working, what's not working mm -hmm. and uh, adjust from there. So uh, we're going to get more content out there more frequently, um, be more engaging and um, yeah, more consistent. So people how do you, can how do you measure success of a video then or a certain and strategy with so a topic hard. yeah so, totally right? so hard yeah we're figuring that out right now i mean uh right now it's time spent um and effort to to some degree views mm -hmm. on the video like we got to have views otherwise it's difficult to to say do it or not do it yeah. and so there's but i mean there's one factor which is uh filming and recording a video if we're talking about that the other factor is marketing the video yeah so we see a lot of people out there who um films this like just unreal content like these amazing videos mm -hmm. but nobody gets their eyes on it and i almost feel bad and i want to tell the world like dude check this this is so cool uh so there's those two components and so sometimes it's really difficult to measure like what's most important like ideally to be honest with you on our team the next hire would be someone um, on a branding, social media, client experience side of things, that that was their focus. So if you're that person, give me a call. Actively looking right now. Uh, that would be the the next decision because I think there's uh, the vision, uh, which is what we're doing every single day is creating the vision. And then there's the technical aspect, which yeah. is where Paul comes in with his technical uh, ability to see things and, and create things. And then there's the messaging, right? It's getting it out to the, mm -hmm. to the world and, and showing people uh, what, what it is that you're trying to say or do. What do you do now with marketing the videos is it strictly social media yeah youtube facebook instagram uh linkedin um our website yeah pretty much all the standard channels is just a bunch sense. of trial and error at this point uh, i think we're past a lot of the trial and error yeah. uh, now it's like i said consistency mm -hmm. um you know in the linkedin space right now we see a lot of value um 
Uh, so I have two partners on my team and we have a lot of shared experience in the types of files we work on, mm-hmm. but we also have some unique uh, experience and as well as things that we like to do. So my partner, Dean, in, in particular, he loves self-employed clients. I do too, don't get me wrong, but like that's his, I want, he wants to work with those people all day long, his, his goal. Um, and so he's found a great space on LinkedIn right now. And uh, his goal is to um, basically just learn to engage, get to connect with people and give valuable content in that space. So that's where his marketing uh, effort is. We chatted about this briefly, but like, how do you, how do you schedule your time to be valuable on a bunch of different platforms? Because the same content on Instagram does not do as well on Facebook versus on LinkedIn. So it just gets to the point where you're like, do you focus on one platform that you're good at or do you try to produce on all different platforms? So both, uh, I love Instagram. Mm. Like that's where I'm trying to figure out TikTok to be honest with you, but it's more of an experiment. I don't spend much time on it. Mm. Maybe like five minutes a day is where I'm at with TikTok at this point right now because consuming that is like shooting myself in the head. <laughs> um, everybody that's listening that's watched this knows what I'm talking about. And all my followers are under 12 years old. So there's that. Um, but one day they'll buy a house and they will need a mortgage. Uh, and they like pugs, clearly. So besides that, um, you know, y- you got to play where you like to play. So this is where we need. Uh, fortunately, you know, I've, I've got a, a team. Um, and, uh, you know, Dean has taken on LinkedIn as like his baby. So we will publish there's pillar content. We call it pillar content. Mm-hmm. And that would be our educational pieces that mm-hmm. we produce every single week on different topics. For example, the BC assessments came out this week. And I know it's not mortgage related, but it affects a majority of our clients. And totally. so this is content that we want to get ahead of them before they read it from the news. Because when I was looking at the articles and articles were, were half spent or incorrect or scaring them, and we want to get ahead of that. And that's our promise to our clients is to get that information to them um, in a timely fashion so that they can digest it from the source as opposed to reading non-educated, non-informative content from the newspaper. Yeah. Right. So, um, yeah, I guess that would be another pillar is our email list. But um, yeah, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram, we generally send out our educational piece, just slightly tweaked. Uh, And then for the other platforms, uh, LinkedIn, for example, you you know, Dean will film a lot of just really straightforward content that's just engaging and helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, my motivational stuff I really like to do on my personal Instagram instead of my business one uh, because it's something I believe in so what I try to do is take a tactic that I've learned or used and just slightly put my own spin on it based on what I believe yeah. and give that out to my crowd and I don't know who that audience is to be completely honest with you if nobody's into it then that's not a big deal to me mm-hmm. um, but it's it's true to me and that's what works for me on our, on our, our Thrive Mortgage uh, Instagram account how we focus it just 100% on, you know, our team, uh, educational content, much more business, right? Yeah. Put our face name and just keep the content going like that. Uh, what else did we say? Facebook? I suck at Facebook, man. Like, I don't know. Uh, um, I, we post it all up on there. We get some engagement. Mm-hmm. I think it's more of like a base for us at this point right now. I'm not very good at long-term engagement there. No, neither am I. It, <laughs> Instagram is so much more user-friendly, or at least for me it is. Facebook, to me, really... I maybe spend 15 to 20 minutes a day on Facebook, whereas Instagram might be, sounds like a lot, but it's probably like two hours. No, it's not probably not that long. You maybe should start measuring now. that, man. That's my, must I don't want to, I don't, I'm not interested in looking at that page. Thank yeah. you. Other yeah. people have told me I should, but no, I'm not interested. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's usually just like in the morning, I'll go on my phone for like 20 minutes before I get out of bed. And then 
at night, it's more just like engagement and posting and putting stories. You know, like it's mostly happens at the end of the day. Yeah, it's so true. Um, so watching the, TV at the, at night, like I rarely will sit and watch thirty minutes of TV. I'll have the TV on while I'm just like on my phone. So the crazy thing about that is, is if you think about it in the day and age that we we live on, how quickly from a media standpoint, mm-hmm. and I know I know Gary Vee talks about this. I don't know what he says because I just kind of catch bits and pieces, but I imagine he's talking about how many eyeballs are we getting on your phone versus how many eyeballs are we getting on the TV commercials. Exactly. Because when the commercials come on on my TV, because I'll leave the sports on and I'll be working on my laptop yeah. at home and um, I'm tuned out. Like I'm not paying attention. Like mm-hmm. I'm not looking at any of that stuff, right? Uh, but on my phone, I'm seeing everything. So I'm seeing the little ads pop up. I'm seeing the person's name. I'm seeing their face. And it's crazy when I think about my own buying patterns and what I buy and what I don't buy. Uh, certainly to some degree, some of the ads catch me, but I think because I'm so cognizant to it, generally don't, it doesn't hit me as hard as maybe it would for other people. Yeah. But especially being in the mortgage space and the lending space is very unique because, you know, um, as you know, anybody with money can put down ads and get eyeballs in that world. So what's separating you from anybody else is it's who are you? Exactly. Like, that's it. That's it. So when I'm thinking about posting constant, content on mainstream, I'll be honest with you. Like, I, the last two days have just been nuts, just just quite busy. Like, people are, nobody wanted to talk to me for two weeks. Now now it's like, call, 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 call. And, you know, you're doing the best to focus on the phone call. I'm not thinking about posting Instagram stories. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I don't know, man. There's not one perfect place to live. And there's not one perfect type of content. Some people have it down to a science. For me, it's just like what feels right and what's working. What are people engaging with, right? Have you... The BC assessments is a funny one because like I'm sure most of the realtors you work with, whenever somebody talks about BC assessments, I just kind of roll my eyes and I'm like, oh, here we go again. Yeah. Just because they really don't mean anything. Yeah. All they do is is a number for property tax, right? Yeah. yeah. And I met with someone uh, yesterday. I was looking to buy a house. And he's like, well, the BC assessments went down 20% this year, so I'm just going to keep waiting and they're just going to keep going down. Like, where, like, where is this information coming from? And so I just like start talking. I was like, well, October, November, December were like a lot busier than the summer. So that leads me to believe that 2020 is going to be a bit of a busier year. He's like, no, 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 it's going down. I'm like, well, you know, the assessment's taken from last year and it's just some person sitting at a computer plugging in some numbers. No one comes and looks at your home. No one walks through your condo and and checks out your view versus someone else's view, et cetera. But anyway, I could talk about that a long time. So so on that point, so I get that all the time. I was talking to a client today, said the exact same thing. My assessments, my assessment is X. It's gone down X. And he was actually okay with it and his because he's not selling or moving or anything yeah. like that. Um, but when I hear that, I always say, Yeah, it did go down 20%. You're right. I noticed that. Yeah, the, the system's pretty flawed, isn't it? And they always say, What do you mean? Well, I mean, do you know how someone gets your number? Like, how do they get the BC assessment? Say, like, well, I don't know. Like, they do an assessment. <laughs> like, okay, because well, I don't mean it in a like condescending way, but yeah. it's like, did it work? Or like, so so basically, you explain to them, okay, this is based on a computer algorithm. It's based on July first of the year before. Um, have you seen the statistics recently in your specific neighborhood? Mm-hmm. No. Okay. Well, tell you what, your realtor is Bob, right? All right. I'm going to get Bob to give you a call and I'm going to get Bob to actually give you a now analysis of your neighborhood. Oh, you don't have an agent. Okay, perfect. Let's connect you with somebody, right? Mm-hmm. Like let's get you on top of somebody who's working in the neighborhood at that time, who knows the value of your property because you just did $50,000 in renovations in a neighborhood where that's not super common yeah. or in a heritage neighborhood where, 
where um, most of the houses, again, are run down or they don't have a suite or something of that nature, right? Um, so it's, it's really, I used to take the approach of like, oh yeah, like, uh, yes, your BC assessment went down. Um, like I, I used to not know what to say to it, but now yeah. it's just kind of like, yeah, you're right. It did. It happened. Yeah. Like, the, but then what does that mean to you? Right. Yeah. The thing that is frustrating, however, is a lot more people just won't reach out or they won't take action because of that. Totally. Which is why sometimes I wonder. And I feel like it must be me. I haven't, I haven't even actually looked at mine to be completely honest with you. I'm scared <laughs> from that standpoint. Scared in a positive way uh, because I'm actually thinking about it right now and while I'm talking about talking to this with you is that um, uh, my taxes have gone down potentially. Exactly. Although that's only partially true because yeah. the reality is it's based somewhat on the population. In the exactly. Area, so. And everyone, if let's say in, if yours went down 10%, likely... A lot of people in neighborhoods went down 10%. Yeah, yeah. So it completely depends on the area. Fortunately, they're building a lot in the neighborhood I live in, so they're going to have more people come in, which pros and cons to that. But yeah. uh, long story short, um, you know, uh, when it comes to uh, assessments and value and things like that, the whole point of doing the video was to try and get ahead of that and educate people about this is what is actually happening right now. Yeah. Let's educate you in the one format I know how to do it. Yeah. Right, because I guess I could pick up the phone and call my, you know, hundreds of families that I know and friends and you know uh, potential clients, but that's very ineffective, and they don't want to hear from me. Have you done one on the Strata insurance yet? No, (laughs) no. But I was talking to someone on uh, Saturday last week who called me specifically and said, "Hey, listen, I I saw the news. I heard the news. Our Strata company is doing, you know, this. I think it was one of the ones that was in the news. Oh, really? Yeah, 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 and." Um, he's like, this is what's happening right now. I'm like, whoa, wow. I, I hadn't really heard a ton about it other than just recently looking at the article. Yeah. And uh, I, like, I didn't have much to say about it yet, right? But anyways, making him want to move to a house. So it'd be interesting to see, um, depending on what the outcome of that is or how many houses or condos or whatever that impacts. Totally. Um, if there's going to be a big jump from people moving from stratified properties or trying to, I should say, there's obviously a factor of qualifying up to uh, single-family homes. We're trying Which to make that keeps leap. getting less and less each year. Yeah, 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 yeah. So we may see, if you're in that single-family home, you might be in a good position this year hmm. to buy more homes. 2020 prediction, real estate market. What's it going to look like? Oh, man. In what? Where? <laughs> where? Where? Okay, you talk about Fraser Valley because that's where you are a lot, right? I'll talk about what I see every day because I'd say you're probably more in tune with the um, with the uh, day-to-day price points uh, than I am. Uh, for me, I generally don't necessarily look as deeply into pricing strategies aside from like once a month ripping through the stats and looking sure. where they're at. Um, client trends right now uh, that I'm seeing on a day-to-day basis as uh, I'm seeing a lot more positivity in the market, which is a good thing. Um, the conversations are starting again. Um, we have... Uh, believe it or not, right now, we have uh, over 100 clients right now that are, are actively uh, pre-approved from the last four to six months mm-hmm. that have, which is a, a large number of people that are still sitting on the sidelines waiting. And uh, over the December, uh, we had our busiest month ever. Um, so, so for me, I believe that that leads into January and February and we see things move back up. Um, I, I posted something uh, on my way here about multiple offers. I was talking to two clients today that were going to multiple offers in Vancouver, yeah. which, I mean, we started to see that for months now. I mean, we've been seeing that ever since, I'd say, the end of the summer. We started to see these types of things happening, and not just in Vancouver, but also in the Fraser Valley. 
I, I think that's going to lead to this year. I'm a little bit um, um, kind of on the fence about what markets we, we see go up or not go up. Um, there's a there's a price range, a price band in the Fraser Valley, generally above $1.5 million right now, where we haven't seen a ton of movement yeah. in quite some time. And there's not a lot of indications that we are going to see it in the near future. Um, but where I'm seeing a ton of movement right now, and actually a lot of my calls in the last two days have been people just straight up moving up, like making that move up mm-hmm. into that single family home. And I don't know if it's because of the strata, um, the rules that we just talked about. And a lot of the first-time buyers that I was talking to are actually saying, let's do this now. Let's do this now. We can do this now. Um, and again, I don't know why. I think it's just, you know, them hearing about it or seeing it or feeling mm-hmm. more comfortable in the environment. So to answer your question, my 2020 predictions is we're going to see that lower end of the price point continue to rise. Mm-hmm. There's no question there. I mean, maybe that's an obvious statement, but we did see it kind of dip down last year uh, because there's going to be a lot of the pressure from, from new people getting into the market after seeing the market come down for a year and watching that happen. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think the single family detached home is going to be ready for, especially on the lower price band, ready for a little bit of a rebound there. We saw that that market really come down. Mm-hmm. And you would probably agree with that last year. Uh, if we do see enough people move, like, as you know, the move up, move up, move up, the money shifts. Yeah. Right. We're going to see that move up again. Um, that gap in the price point from strata to single family just got closer in the last 18 months. Yeah. Yep. So it seems like a lot of those young couples maybe have one kid or are thinking about having a family are now looking to make that jump. Yeah. And, and you know what also is interesting, um, this this will be really interesting to see. And I don't know what this is going to look like. Uh, as you know, in 2016, the uh, first stress test came in mm-hmm. uh, when it came to uh, people with less than 20% down. Not first time buyers. Very clear about that. People with less than 20% down buying a property now had to qualify for the stress test. Well, 2017, the end of the year, mm-hmm. um, which we're going on three years now, close, right? Um, uh, they put in the second stress test, which is more than 20% down. Yeah. The average timeline that a consumer or uh, a person who has a mortgage keeps that mortgage before breaking it for whatever reason is three years, not five years, three years. Very important. Mm-hmm. Uh, the penalties matter. I, I, I push that all the time because what I'm seeing right now is a ton of my clients from 2017 are calling. Yeah three years, yeah. whether it was their entry-level condo or their townhouse. And they're saying, you know what, Alex, like, we're super happy we got into this property. Fortunately, a lot of them are still having, you know, a little bit of a bump up in equity, depending on when they bought. Um, but they're looking to make that move up. So that three-year price ban is going to happen. The big challenge here is at the time that they bought, there was no stress test. Now yeah. there is. So are they going to be able to make that gap? Are they going to be able to make that jump? We'll have to wait and see. What, what does that look there? like on a refinance? Let's say that same couple who bought in 2000, whatever, 15 is now renewing this year. Mm-hmm. The stress test is in. Yeah. Are they now, they're if they're still, staying with the same lender, they don't have to uh, requalify. Is that right? Yeah. So it's important to disting- distinguish between a refinance and a renewal. Renewal. Okay. A renewal is when someone is not making any changes on their mortgage. They're just re-signing with the same institution and carrying forward, right, with their mortgage product. Um, that's the only way someone does not have to go through qualification or okay. go through the stress test. Now, uh, I would say um, a lot of the banks, institutions, not just banks, credit unions, other lenders have scared their clients into thinking that they can't qualify with a stress test. And a lot of the um, uh, media has said that to people too. So a lot of people don't actually go get a second opinion, which is um, not a positive idea yeah. because you're generally leaving a lot of money on the table. Uh, but yeah, if, if someone does want to do a refinance, which is to take equity out of their home or restructure it, now 
even though they didn't originally qualify, they do have to qualify. Even if they just want to switch lenders, they have to qualify under those stress test rules, can, which can obviously impact a lot of people, mm-hmm. right? So we got to get really creative. Is that going away anytime soon? <laughs> I hope so. No, <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think so. But uh, um, there was a report out, um, I, I think it was two or three weeks ago now, and uh, there was apparently a note from... Trudeau to the finance minister to actually take a look into some possibilities of relaxing some rules around renewals or refinances. Mm. What does that mean? Probably not a whole lot, and especially not for a while. If if we're you know thinking of what have they done recently, which is the home ownership shared program. I don't even know what it's called anymore. First time buyer. Have you equity. done one? Uh, I, we tried to do one personally. It is the dumbest program. It doesn't work for anyone in the Lower Mainland, right? Um, it, it, to be honest with you, I have clients everywhere from here. We did a home in Halifax last month. Yeah. And uh, even those clients it didn't work for because they earned, I think it was like $5,000 too much, even though everything else yeah, qualified. You can only have a household income of like 120 or something. Yeah. 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 Uh, I don't think it's actually been put in place, but they've talked about reducing that number or increasing that number for Vancouver and Toronto so that you could qualify if you have $150,000 income or something of that nature. Yeah. But it's still not a program that a lot of people are going to use. The only time it makes any sense at all is if somebody actually um, has the ability to pay that off in a short amount of time and they just want interest-free, interest-free loan. Right. But they have to remember, they're actually registering a second mortgage on your property, so you have to pay for that cost up front as well, right? So there's an increased cost associated with that. There are certain scenarios I've run where it does make sense for the right person who's really mm-hmm. good with their money, uh, but quite often it doesn't make any sense. Isn't the tough thing in Greater Vancouver that you can only borrow, or the purchase price has to be less than four times your salary? Correct, your mortgage amount. Mortgage amount. So the max purchase price would be like, it's like uh, I can't remember off the top of my head. It's been a little while. I'd have to refresh myself, but it's about five hundred thousand dollars somewhere yeah. in that range. Yeah, yeah. Good so luck. not very many people are using this program, Trudeau. <laughs> You'd like a zero? new program? You haven't done one. Uh, no, none. That's hilarious. I haven't none. talked to a mortgage broker that's done one. Yeah. So we've we sent in an application for one that almost got across the line, and then we found out that the price, the mortgage amount was five thousand dollars. No, the price point. Sorry, the property was. $5,000 too high oh because God. they made a price adjustment. It was a new development property and they added some features onto it. Uh, so, so they elected to keep the features and get rid of the program. Uh, the second one that we were almost there on, they just said, no, nah, we just don't want to deal with it anymore. And they just didn't <laughs> do it. So they went forward with it. it. It's really funny to think about this because when we think back, um, generally I do not enjoy anything that the NDP does. And I think most people in the housing sector or the housing market yeah are pretty against the NDP, so obvious statement here. But the BC Homeownership Program that came out back in 2017 or 2016 or whatever year it was, uh, that was a substantially better program than what this one is today. There were a lot of problems with it, but I actually did help clients with it. Quite a few. That was the, they'd match like... Match down payment. Yeah. So what is the number one challenge that I see when it comes to first-time buyers who cannot get into the market. Saving money for a down payment, right? Yeah. There's, well, there's two issues that we commonly see. One is debt from student loans sure. if we're talking about professional clients. Uh, the second is savings, and those two often go hand-in-hand, hand, right? Where they have maybe $10,000 for down payment, $20,000 it seems like light years away. And yeah. as you know, the difference between $10,000 and $20,000 is... 200,000 versus 400, that's getting and not getting into the market. Right. Right. Whether it's a new Esther and Langley, that's the difference between actually being able to own a, a home. 
right? So we see a lot of people who are looking at the bank of mom and dad now, and that will only go so far for so many families. And I totally empathize when I meet people who don't have that as an, even an ounce of an option. It's not even a consideration. And they're mm-hmm. saving, you know, tooth in uh, and nail to get that extra thousand dollars a month. And I'm sitting there thinking, oh man, like, wish there was something else that was better than what we have right now. So it'd be pretty cool if they reconsidered that program and looked at an option like that, but it's not going to happen. How is that paid back, that one? Uh, So they have 25 years. The first five years is interest-free, payment-free. After that, as far as I can recall, again, don't quote me on any of this because I haven't looked at the program for a while. Uh, But as far as I can recall, the program then goes into a second mortgage position and they have to start paying it back over the remaining 20 years. Okay. So in terms of qualifying for a mortgage, under that program, you'd likely qualify for less because you have this future payment coming up that's over Yeah, there, right? so they, they, they amortized the payment over 25 years at um, what I believe was the benchmark rate at the time to qualify you for it. Okay. And that's, yeah, that's essentially how you qualified at the time. Mm-hmm. It, it was, again, it had its problems. It had actually quite a few problems with it outside of that, but it was substantially better and more useful than what we have right now. Right. So I'll give it that. I think in any case scenario, they're not really addressing any of the problems and they're making it too restrictive for most people to use. Mm-hmm. So maybe they need to do a little bit more research aside from talking to the big banks because that's where they get most of their information. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, which is why we have a stress test. It was recommended by RBC and BMO and TD as opposed to consulting with people who do this every single day. Yeah. yeah. That reminds me. The uh, Real Estate Council... In Greater Vancouver, your, your favorite. They brought in all these new laws and, or these new rules and paperwork in the last two years. They didn't talk to any realtors. They talked to lawyers. Yeah. What do lawyers know about <laughs> selling a house or talking to people selling houses? It's pretty amazing. Oh my gosh! You can make all That's these hilarious. changes and not ask anybody. You know, I, I hear about like technology changes and rule changes and guideline changes and. You know, it would actually be kind of neat if they actually like broke it down. Here's what the change is. Here's why we did the change. Here's where the research came from. Like that would make sense. Mm -hmm. But I think that makes too much sense. And somebody's not getting paid along the way, right? Which is the problem, Mm -hmm. right? Somebody's not getting paid. Those lawyers aren't getting paid. There's been so many crazy things in in the last five years. I wonder if there's a five-year period going back through Greater Vancouver Real Estate where there's been more obnoxious changes than there has been in the last five years. No, Lending, uh, real estate. Um, the foreign buyer tax comes in and it was literally announced like on a Thursday and they're like, oh, by the way, it happens on Monday. Yeah. And it's not uh, like any deal that is done that completes after that date. Doesn't matter. So let me ask you a question. Uh, how long have you been practicing real estate? Almost six years. Six years. So you were doing this before the foreign buyers tax came in, mm-hmm. before both stress tests came in, mm-hmm. I would imagine. When both of those things happened, what happened to your business? Did it go up or go down or what, what didn't occurred? change at all? Didn't uh, change. No, I didn't see it change much at all. I think uh, like the combination of all those things, foreign buyer tax, vacancy tax, um, stress test, like there's a bunch of things that all happened within like a two year period. I think that affected the market in general. Yes. Yeah. But in terms of like our specific business, I don't know if you guys are watching this on YouTube or not, but I'm like a Caucasian male that speaks English. So like the foreign type buyer was not really someone that we attracted. So I, I don't think it really hurt us very much. I think it hurt um, first time buyers the most, like all those changes. Yeah, yeah. 
I would agree. Uh, interesting thing. So, so where I was going with this as well is, uh, yeah, we see all these changes. These changes yeah. are occurring, and certainly, um, they they seem to focus primarily on making it more difficult than anything else. But if we really take scope of a majority of the issues, the percentage of people that most of these taxes and most of these things have done um, is is minimal as as far as an overall yeah. uh, group of the market. And and there's certainly some people that caught up got caught up in you know the stress tests and so forth, but. Um, the reality is, this is the climate that we have. We got to work within it and it's not changing anytime mm-hmm. soon. Like it's not. So work with what you got. I mean, I remember a period of time when the first stress test came in and, and, and mortgage brokers were putting their hands up and saying, this is it. It's over after like three years of other changes. Right. But that went up and it was done. And then stress test number two came in the year later and, we're, and, and people were just screaming like bloody murder. My business is gone. My business is dead. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Yeah, like, yeah it sucks, but it's not hurting you. It's hurting those families. Figure out ways to help out those families. Like yeah. take care of those people. Um, I don't know. My business has substantially grown year over year, every year that these things have happened. Uh, what I think that does is it actually makes you as a real estate agent when the market's down and these things occur and us as lenders and anybody out there in, in the industry who faces these types of challenges um, makes you earn your money, mm-hmm. like become more valuable. Right. It makes you stand out. It, 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 it allows you to show your competitive advantage to people. Yeah. There was a lot of people in 2016, 17 that were mediocre real estate agents that were making a lot of money because it was very easy to sell property. And yeah. now I don't think as many consumers are trusting their aunt and their cousin and all those types of things yeah. to sell their $1.6 million home in Greater Vancouver. Exactly. I think they're looking for area expert that are doing things properly that are marketing properly yeah so i mean i would say that that's absolutely true and that in any business or um, arena there's generally going to be some type of legislation um or where there is some Mm -hmm. form of legislation it really just comes down to not standing on one leg having multiple legs and being an expert at whatever the heck it is you do and taking pride in it because i million percent agree that uh, there was a very large percentage of people that should not have been doing 10 transactions during that year or selling 10 homes or whatever it is that sold 10 homes that were like looking at themselves in june of the following year and saying wow i haven't done anything what's mm-hmm. going on and realizing that okay wow they, they actually didn't work yeah that was just there on a platter right so I, the, the good thing to me man i i actually like that i love that i thrive in those markets because it's an opportunity to reinvent and and find value and and become an expert Totally. You push yourself, right? Yeah. I, I kept telling our team all the time throughout 2019, yes, our sales numbers were down from the busiest 2017 year that we had, but it's such an opportunity to create long-term reputation and relationships with people, right? Do things the right way. Yeah. Um, yes, that two-bedroom condo that would have sold in six days with 12 offers now takes 60 days to sell or whatever it is. So yeah. you're working a lot more hours for yes. one sale. But it's such an opportunity to just show people your value. There you go. Mm-hmm. You asked me right off the bat again, like when I have conversations with agents, uh, what am I doing? I'm spending my time building that relationship and giving something of value, educating people, teaching people. Again, whether it's them or our clients who are calling us from three years ago, yeah. it's because of taking the time and the energy to do those types of things where up or down, it doesn't really matter. They remember that, right? Mm-hmm. That's what makes a difference. So, yeah. Do you watch the NFL? Uh, Seahawks. That's about it. I know you watch the Seahawks. I'm a Seahawks, Seahawks fan, not an NFL fan. I'm 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 one of those guys that uh, that um, I'll, I'll watch about a half a game because I don't have four hours to 
to watch TV. Same thing as Seahawks. Yeah. I always catch a second half of the game or yeah. record it and I'll skip through it, that sort of thing. Totally. Um, time is precious. Time is valuable for me. And I rarely find time to hang out. And for me, like it's hockey first. Uh, as far as like TV events yeah, yeah. and then football. So I'll just pick my one team. Yeah. And then, um, uh, yeah, just everything else under that. Prediction for this week's Sunday game. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. In Green Bay. Wait a second. Yeah, yeah Green Bay. In, in Green, Green Bay. Bay. Yeah. Um, listen, I love the Hawks. Uh, they're going to be in tough. <laughs> they're going to be in tough. It's going to be snowy. It's going to be cold. It's supposed to be minus three. And, minus uh, three. These guys play in the rain a at a balmy seven degrees. Yeah. Uh, I don't think the weather is going to be as like a terrible factor for them. Thankfully, they're an outdoor team, yeah. uh, so it's not like Arizona. It's going to come up here and struggle from that standpoint. But we're pretty we're pretty lean right now, man. We are very lean. <laughs> we are very lean. Mm. So uh, I give us a very I don't know what, what are we going to say here. I would love to see our team win. So the home the hometown guy in me says I'd love to see him win, and the only way they win is if Russell throws out like just blows them away and Marshawn has like a 2014 renaissance <laughs> which I'm sorry I don't I haven't seen that other than the excitement of him hopping out the car without skittles which was a cool <laughs> little thing there uh my, my prediction is I'm always gonna say the home team I want to win uh but we're in tough so let's go Hawks like it why not like why not it. why not why not I I'd, like I'd be a terrible person if I if I said anything else like that what was my score last night I have no idea oh, oh we're doing score predictions okay uh well it was lower we have a, we have a seahawks podcast what every how do you not know this i don't know yeah me and, do you know lucas on my team yeah well not personally but. yeah yeah so me and lucas he, lucas is a big seahawks fan too so me and lucas every usually the night after so we usually do it monday nights we do like a recap uh oh, seahawks podcast it's a good idea yeah i like that it's it's awesome. you said 20 to 17 that's right. The okay. Seahawks are going to win uh, twenty to seventeen. I would I would say if they're going to win, it's going to be a grind like grind it out kind of game. And I would say like seventeen fourteen. I would even go less than that. And I think it's going to be low scoring for sure. Very very low scoring. It's either that Especially if we win, if it's snowing. It, yeah, if we win, it's that. If we lose, it's going to be like forty eight to two. <laughs> just, <laughs> just, <laughs> I don't even know where the two. Came. Oh no, we're not CFL here. Sorry, forty eight to three. I was thinking CFL rules for a second. We're kicking it through the end zone. Two singles. One point. <laughs> Oh man. <laughs> oh man, I heard about this. I was listening actually to a podcast recently where they were talking about how much they love the CFL and they were like, but you know what's oh it's spitting chicklets podcast. Yeah, like, fucking stupidest thing what the CFL is. The one point you it's kick so it through the dumb. end zone. It makes no sense. Do you know what it's called? No. It's called a rouge. Oh, okay. Very, very French Canadian. Super strange. Yeah. yeah. Hey, we are Canadian. We gotta enjoy and embrace our French Canadian. I don't speak French, so I don't know. <laughs> oh, that's hey, the dumbest rule. Duma. I know. My name is Denis Duma. Yeah. So you speak French? No. Come on. <laughs> I feel like, like that should not, should not be allowed. from France or something. I don't know. Yeah. I feel like that shouldn't be allowed. Dude, um, uh, thanks for having me down, man. Absolutely. Thanks I don't know if we're going to keep going. If we keep going, I'll, I'll keep going. But no, um, let's get out of here. It's 8 o'clock. Yeah, let's, let's kick it. Um, I want to I want to chat with you again offline and love to share more ideas and strategies and figure out what it is that I want to get back. I hope if somebody lasted for this entire one and a half to two hours and they heard us talking about aliens and like Iraq, <laughs> And, and like, we got to stick this out, yeah. And like Seahawks and uh, whatever else that we just chatted about in that amount of time. If they got one one thing out of this, um, if you're listening, send me a message. Let me know. I'd 100%. love I'd love to hear that. And and then and I'll let Denny know if you hear him. He's probably here up before me. But uh, dude, this is this is fun. It's a lot of fun. I enjoyed this. Let's if you're looking uh, for a mortgage refinance renewal, check out Mortgage Pug at Mortgage Pug. Add the mortgage pug. The mortgage pug. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Or you just want to see pugs. <laughs>